Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Hoburn. My name is Dan Schreiber, I'm sitting here with Andrew Hunter-Murray, Anna Tashinsky, and James Harkin, and once again we have gathered around the microphones with our four favourite facts from the last seven days, and in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that everyone in the French town of Evian is allowed unlimited free Evian. <laughs> Are they allowed it from, like, do they have to go up and put their mouth to the spring? Well, I don't know how it comes no, out. They it does come through the taps, right? No, no. Andy's closest, but he is wrong. So um, this is the town of evian de bain uh-huh. uh, on the banks of the Lake Geneva, and it's in France. And they have this special spring of water, yeah. And this is where we get the Evian today. But the people of the town can go to the spring. It has a special sort of spout. uh, And you can go and get unlimited Evian from there. You don't have to go with your mouth on the spout. When I went there... Because that ruins the spout forever. It ruins the entire company's operations, actually. Millions of people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I went there recently on my holidays because you guys have had some guests on the last few weeks. I was going from a ski resort to Geneva, where mm. our flight was going from, and saw that Evian was, I won't say on the way, we had to take quite a long diversion, but I said to my wife, why don't we go to this place, Evian, because it's kind of an interesting place that I've heard of. Baby was sick, but it was fine. <laughs> drank Everyone... some bad water or something. <laughs> but we went there, and I drank some of the Evian water with my cupped hands, so I allowed it to go wow. into my cupped hand, and I drank it. But just as we're leaving, actually, there was a guy who turned up in his car, opened his boot, and he must have had about 50 glass bottles no. where he went to the spring, and he filled up all of his bottles, so he had as much Evian as he could drink and that apparently is a common thing that the people of Evian do you're well, so what? lucky you're so lucky that you got there before him rather yes. than just <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> you want, I, mate I'm just trying to fill up my two cupped hands here I wonder, no sorry I've only got 47 bottles to go um, <laughs> what I'm imagining is like a municipal water not a water cooler you know a, a thing like in a school gym where you put your mouth to it yeah it's not press the button and it squirts up a bit but not very much no it's not that it's something where it is always flowing out oh, nice so mm. it is kind of a mosaic of a nice sort of like flowers and stuff like that and mm. then there's a little bowl underneath made of stone and the water just keeps going into the bowl and then drains away presumably okay. to the every other factory where it then goes <laughs> yeah. into your bottles no I don't know about if, you're, if you're a rival company could you just go and bottle your own brilliant idea bottles? brilliant you could but I imagine it's probably not efficient probably the cost is not the water yeah. it's the bottling factory if you're Buxton yeah. Springs say and mm. your entire factory is in Buxton in Derbyshire mm. probably it's not worth it to drive all the way down to Geneva <laughs> Free water. I mean, you could just get it out of the tap if you were trying to get more like water. Which some bottle companies did, didn't they? Yes. Dasani, I think. Dasani, famously which did was that. Coke-owned, and it just turned out to be tap water that yeah. they'd yeah. sort of run that water under the tap. I didn't know how they'd done it, but they well, basically like. I think it was it, I think that's mis- slightly misleading, but I, if it was what it still is now, which is that it's tap water, as is more than two thirds of bottled water in America, get and away. lots of it here. 
basically it's filtered tap water so they've taken tap water filtered it but the great thing about these big soft drinks companies is they're already filtering the water to put in their Fanta and their Coke or whatever so they've got this big water filtration system set up all they need to do is turn the tap on a bit more so yeah that is yeah but what what do Mm. they drink then in Evian through the tap Mm. Is it the same source of water coming through? Or is what it a, a good question. question. So, no, because they will have, and I don't know this for sure, but they must have reservoirs where the water comes from because this is just a small spring yeah. and certainly wouldn't be enough to fill what is a an averagely sized French town. Yeah, right. I, okay. I heard though that they only take about 10% of the Evian water to turn into Evian from yeah, this spring. I can and believe so, that. And it filters down through the rock, and yeah. then it takes about 15 years, and it goes into an underground aquifer. Mm. And then once the aquifer is full, the water gets forced up, back up to the surface. Okay. And then it emerges at that spring. And that whole thing takes 15 years to do, I believe. That's what they say on their website, 15 years is well, the number. I, that's where I got it from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why and would the- they lie about that? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually 19 years, but 15 is such a round number. There is an interesting thing on the website which talks about the history. I don't know if you saw this. Um, they said that 1789 was a very important year in Evian water history. And seeing as they were in France, it feels like 1789 probably was quite an important <laughs> yeah. year. I thought that. Pretty much forever everyone because actually their water sauce was discovered by a french nobleman right do you feel like probably had other things on his mind that was the last thing he ever did wasn't it i have looked for the marquis de lessert who i'm sure was not top of the list when the revolution came (laughs) but i've i searched for his i searched his name there's no other he doesn't crop up anywhere else no he does i think there is some suggestion that a bit of this origin story might not be 100% true but right. it is certainly it yeah. was it was on this guy's land in Avian yeah. and supposedly this nobleman had kidney stones or something yeah. drank some of this water and his kidney stones disappeared and he was like this is great stuff right. and then the guy who owned the land started to sell the water yeah. it's not a bit, if it was a perfect origin story like the one that they always make up it would be he was out for a walk one day he fell over <laughs> some of the water fell into his mouth <laughs> and then he felt his kidney stones clearing up so weird <laughs> yeah Bottled water, the idea comes from the fact that it was good for your health, doesn't it? It was a medicine yeah. for ages. Um, and mm. that's the reason we drink it today, really, is because of all these bath places or bath places, like Bath or Leamington or Buxton. Um, <laughs> and in the 19th century, in your Jane Austen... <laughs> Sorry, just, just, bath is named after bath. Is that like having a bath? It would be so weird if we said, I'm just going to go and have a quick Leamington. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you given the baby his lemmington tonight? <laughs> Although we should, we should make clear for the email writers that we do know that baths are not named after the place Bath. Um, I didn't know that. And I, I don't mind getting an email about it. And please don't send one now. <laughs> isn't redundant. Are they not? That's a coincidence. No, the other way around. It's going to be the other way around, isn't it? What? <laughs> you just you work on that logic for a moment. <laughs> no, no. It could have been where someone had the first bath. It could have been. The, uh, like a, a noble, a Roman walking by, tripped, <laughs> fell <laughs> into the hot water, loved it. <laughs> a loofah landed yeah. on his head. <laughs> and a, a, du- a duck floated by. <laughs> and he squeezed it and went, whack. <laughs> this is amazing. Anyway, the way that bottling began actually was people used to go somewhere like Bath and they'd take the waters for their health, like in Jane mm. Austen. Yeah. You'd drink the waters, you'd bathe in the waters, you'd get rid of your 
um, whatever palsy you had or spots or whatever. Um, but some people were too busy or too poor to be able to afford this constant water treatments and traveling to these spa towns. So they subscribed instead, much like you might subscribe to, I don't know, HelloFresh or... Right. <laughs> Where's the clock, Anna? We don't, you don't, have, you don't have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> they subscribed to water deliveries, wow. which would be bottled up wow. and sent to them for their health. And those are the original bottles. That's the original bottled wow. water. That's very cool. So it was a kind of spa destination, Evian, as well. And this was before they were bottling it. This is 1806. They had a thermal spa that opened. The bottling happened in 1826. Yeah. But you would think then that as a result, this is just like you'd go there, it'd be this majestical like kind of mindfulness place and really nice. But we have an account of what it was like from someone traveling through there in the uh, 1810s, roughly. And that was Percy Shelley and Mary Shelley. He said, the appearance of the inhabitants is more wretched, diseased and poor than I ever recollect to have seen. Oh, wow. So not a great TripAdvisor review there. <laughs> not a good advert for the health no. giving waters. It does appear in Frankenstein as well, by the way, Evian. He goes on his honeymoon there, I That's think. That's right, yeah. yeah. Wait, Dr. Frankenstein? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really? He goes yeah. to Evian, yeah. So it, it, yeah, Mary Shelley literally puts the town wow. into the book. Phil Collins has a house on the banks of Lake Geneva. Get out. Does yeah. he? What, is that that surprising? I just, I'm happier I know it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just looked up people who live near Lake Geneva. It's quite posh, isn't it, that area? It's got nice stuff it's quite there. quite posh, yeah. It became posh after they found the water, really. They right. built massive hotels there and a casino. Oh, yeah. The casino's interesting because after World War II and Hitler killed himself, there were rumours that Hitler was still alive uh, and there was a rumour that he was working as a croupier in Evian <laughs> in no. the big oh, casino. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Lots of people went down there trying to find Hitler and they were like, oh, no, it's just a guy who looks like Hitler. <laughs> How long were you there for, by the way? Were you just... Oh, like, just until the baby got started crying, so about 45 minutes. Oh, okay, so just to just to have we, it Yeah, purely. we just, we needed somewhere to go for lunch, so yeah. we just went there. Okay. Not long enough to find Hitler. No, no Hitler, no, we Did didn't you, see Hitler. And you, you guys a fan of Evian? Drink it at home? Yeah, I drink Evian. <laughs> Do you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyone else in your household drink Evian? <laughs> yeah, everyone in my house oh, yeah. drinks Evian, yeah. Who are the members of your household again? <laughs> well, myself and my wife. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and my daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyone else? Well, no, humans. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we've got to come out and say this. Uh, for the record, James has got a cat. And sometimes his cat drinks Evian. And when we say only, sometimes... Only when she's thirsty. <laughs> every single day. <laughs> James gives his cat Evian. I have to say, before we started, these guys already knew this. And I do think of all the things in my life, this is the only thing that really can spoil my man of the people. Mm. <laughs> this is your meow too moment, isn't it? It's brilliant. Hey. Brilliant. And I kind of want you to keep hold of it, because isn't it because of um, it's something your I fault. told you? It's yeah, Anna's it's fault. fault. And just, dear listener, this is what happened. Anna told me that cats have special taste buds on their tongues that can taste water. And so for us, water doesn't taste of anything, mm-hmm. but for cats, it's really important and they can taste the difference. And London water is disgusting. True. And we happen to have quite a lot of Evian in the house because I'd stockpiled a load for COVID. Yep. <laughs> uh, and I just started giving it to my cat and she liked it and she still likes You've it. Changed. Since, li- you, since you left Bolton, James, <laughs> We live changed. by our facts. I think the listeners would appreciate that we live and we die and our cats live and die by our facts. And that's fair enough. And it's true. Cats can taste water. They, Whereas we can't. But then there's this big question over, mm. given that water tastes of nothing, how do we know we're drinking water and not some poisonous substance all the time? Mm. Oh. Well, you can't. That's well, interesting. Because it doesn't taste... Because it's... 
But there are some tasteless things, like arsenic doesn't taste of anything, does Indeed. it? Indeed. But you can't, like, if I... <clears throat> if I give you a pint of arsenic, you wouldn't necessarily know it was not water. No, really? that's true. But I would just think the odds are you struggle to get hold of a pint of arsenic. You'd have to re- I'd have to have really annoyed you. <laughs> and? Keep going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's a very resourceful man. <laughs> no, I just sort of think it's probably it's probably going to be water. It's probably, and I've been right every time so far. I don't like to brag. You but only have to be wrong once. No, that's true. I'll keep spinning that uh, But there's, there is a reason you haven't been wrong, which is that you can tell that it's water. And they've only just found this. Mm. And it's that it doesn't taste sour, but it registers on our sour taste buds. And this is related to a fact that a guest shared, actually. One oh, yeah. of those other guests we had in when we kicked James off the show, I think. Oh, yeah. Basically, when you drink water, it washes away your saliva. And then our mouths, in the process of replacing saliva, produce protons. And Steve Mould, when he came on, oh, his yeah. fact was protons taste sour. Oh, yeah. Mm. So it triggers our sour huh. taste buds. Yeah. It is yeah. mad how much bottled water we drink now. I had no idea how much mm. people are drinking bottled water, and I don't get it. So obviously in developing countries, it's really important because you can't get... Uh, in a lot of countries, mm. you can't get clean tap water. Can't but that get is, tasty water in London, of course. You can't get delicious water in London. <laughs> same same problem. Um <laughs> But it's not Shit. developing countries. I'm not helping here. <laughs> <laughs> You're fast-tracking to cancellation. Um, it's not developing countries that are consuming it all. So in Singapore, how many litres do you reckon per person per annum? Per annum? Oh, oh my God. That's how many, big, I mean, uh, half a litre a day. A litre a day, 300 litres. 300 litres per person per annum of tap water. Uh, 1,129 litres per person. Three litres of water a day? Bottled and bottled. Three litres of bottled water per person per day. That's insane. Because there's going to be some outliers, aren't there? There's going to be some people who don't have any of that. Yeah. Australia is a second worst offender. Australians are drinking 504 litres of bottled water a person. Get out. Isn't that insane? It's bananas. That's really hot. The water's good. Yeah, but the water's good. The tap water's fine. (laughs) I don't know. There are a lot of of cats in Australia. (laughs) We're by the beach. You can't drink the salt water. You need to have a good old... No one is proposing you drink salt water. There is is such a gap in your logic between the bottled water and the sea. No, the logic is you're down by the sea for a lot of the day where you cannot get access to tap water fill up a bottle and take it down oh yeah Yeah, i think i do think that's that argument has persuaded me not that it's right but that's probably why it is Mm. it's convenient isn't it people are out they've forgotten their bottle exactly remember your bottle australians is everyone at the beach always in australia i know that's the myth that we read but like i don't believe (laughs) they all do live next to the beach though don't they i mean no one lives in the middle where you'd also need bottled water (laughs) (laughs) um i found a thing about water pipes Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. This was because I was looking up, you know, tap water and how it, you know, just how it works and what the pipes are like, blah blah blah. blah. Mm. Anyway, this is from a website called Best Life Online. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. And the headline is: Eight surprising places you're letting snakes into your home. <laughs> I'd be surprised <laughs> living in central London if they're getting in anywhere. Yeah, and actually, the terrible thing about this article was I wasn't especially surprised by any of the places. Well, what toilet? They toilet. come up through your toilet. Yeah. Toilet, water pipes, window, Pl- plumbing gaps. Didn't have window. Cat oh. cat door. No, cat that's good. That's much. I would be a bit surprised by that because you're expecting the cat, aren't you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, showers, cracks in the foundation, basement access points, and the only one I find mildly surprising: shoes you might have left outside. Yeah, that Fair makes enough. sense. Come home, take off your shoes outside. You know. What, what would be a surprising entry though? Um, <laughs> out of your computer tower. 
Like just spiraling out of computer the computer tower. tower. I just do my work on my computer <laughs> in my office in my house. Do you go all the way to your computer's house? This is where I'm out of touch. I have a tower, <laughs> a medieval fortification that I do my computer work. It's annoying because you can't get Wi-Fi in there, <laughs> no, but not. you still go over there. You can get a bit if you stand near one of the arrow slits. You get a tiny bit, but it's not much. <laughs> Stop the podcast. Stop the podcast. Hi, everyone. We'd like to let you know that this week we are sponsored by LinkedIn Jobs. We certainly are. Look, it's a new year. If you own a small business, you'll be asking yourself, what can I do to improve things in 2024? You could open a new Hong Kong office, but it might not be the right thing for your business. What is definitely the right thing is having the right people around you. Absolutely. And what are you going to do if you want a new person in your Hong Kong office or in any of your offices? Are you going to send a job application out where you might get a billion replies? No. No, you're not going to do that. No. But if you post it on LinkedIn, it could see the eyes of a billion professionals because that's how many people are on there. It's fantastically easy to hire the right people on LinkedIn. You can get the finest candidates. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate approaching them within 24 hours. That's nuts. Absolutely. If you have a small business, if you want to hire someone, go to LinkedIn Jobs. And if you do so, you can post your job for free right now by going to LinkedIn, L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash fish. Go to linkedin.com slash fish, post your job for free, sort this Hong Kong thing out. Terms and conditions apply. On with the podcast. On with the show. Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is Anna. My fact this week is that there's a mangrove forest in Indonesia that's actually a woman grove. Brilliant. <laughs> Riddle sense. roundabout. Yeah, it's not, it's not right. really a fact that you can tell your friends, is it? Without me explaining it a bit further. But um, it's really cool. So this is in Papua and it's a forest called Hutan Perempuan. And it's a forest where only women are allowed to go. The oldest women who go there say it's been happening for as long as they can remember and their grandmothers did it. And mangroves are basically forests that are underwater, uh, partly. So, mangroves are trees. The yeah. mangrove, there are, there are about a few dozen species of mangrove tree, and they're the only trees which can grow in salt water. They're, yeah. they're amazing things for all sorts of reasons. Which you I'm tend sure we'll to get, get them in brackish areas where it's like yeah. right on the coast, so it's where exactly. the salt water hits the fresh all water. All along the shoreline, yeah. you get yeah. these great And where forests. it's basically yeah. they exist between high and low tides. So they spend a lot of their life in water and a lot of their life out of water and it's very swampy and gross in a mangrove but these um swampy <laughs> it's gross if you don't like swampy but these women like it um because they get to gossip essentially so these are specifically people from the engros and tobati tribes on the indonesian side of the papua island and they wade in, they collect these shellfish from the mud, they sell them at market. You have to go in naked, which is kind of the reason why men aren't allowed, mm. um, because then they see the ladies naked. And they essentially use it as a way to swap stories, uh, do some female bonding, bitch about the men, um, pass down a lot of ancient wisdom. It's just a really great <laughs> women-only <laughs> <laughs> Like gossiping, yeah. slanging off the men. Occasionally a bit of ancient wisdom <laughs> <laughs> I like those because I subscribe 
subscribe to one of those gossip magazines, but then on the last page, there's always a little bit of ancient wisdom. <laughs> yeah. But they also, they're encouraged to just yell out whatever their inner voice is. So just random statements that no one will understand. Oh, really? But it's like, yeah, you get it out. You, you do that. That's fine. Yeah. Oh That's clever. The inner voice yell. Yeah. Uh, I read that men are allowed in the forest, but only when there are no women there. Is that right? That is correct. So there are Ooh. times that men are allowed in to collect wood, but they've got to make sure that there are no ladies in there. Question. It feels to me like it would be quite hard to work out when there are no ladies in a forest, as in as forests are big. Is there like one of those in-out stickers or labels where you just slide it over? No, from... you just got to listen to the gossiping that's going on, which is basically what they say. That's it, so they can just talk and talk. So if you can't hear any ladies, they're probably not there because they use it as their time, literally, to just oh, is anyone gossiping or quoting Marcus Aurelius? And then <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, and if you do enter as a man when you're not allowed to, you are taken to tribal court and you have to pay a fine. In polished stones. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So they go. So they take. They take their coal coal. It's called. It's like their their boat. They they have a sort of group of them that go out with a singular boat. And they make a pact not to leave each other. And then they go clam hunting, fish hunting as well. And big problems in modern day mangrove woman grove situations uh, is the fact that people like uh, Evian bottles are getting into their areas. It's full of plastic now. And so yeah. the clams have gone way down. Sorry to knock Evian. James. I do. I recycle my <laughs> Evian bottles that the cat drinks. Yeah. They, I don't go all the way to Papua New Guinea to throw them away. <laughs> but there's a big problem now. This, no, it's, yeah, it's really affecting them. Mangroves are so great. And they are, it's quite sad researching them because you read about all the threats to them, predominantly from climate change and and habitat loss, habitat destruction, mm. if people are using a strip of coastline for things like shrimp farming, yeah. which is a, a big industry in lots of these countries, then it just sort of t they tear up the mangroves, basically. But they are incredible. They're among the only few plants which can tolerate salt water. Out of 400,000 species of plant in the world, 1,500 can tolerate salt water, and mangroves oh. are among them. They, they live for a really long time. It's so alien when I hear it. Like, just all the things that they can do that other trees can't do. Mm. So, yeah, they filter out 90% of the salt that comes in. But the ones that don't do that, they've got these special leaves. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the leaves are like waxy substances where they leak out the salt. They, but they can also they sweat out crystallized yeah. salt on their leaves. They're so cool. But then right? there's other ones where they will basically send the salt to the old leaves and the old bark so it's yeah. not touching the new bit of the tree. It's so nice. intelligent. I'm using the word intelligent. <laughs> I'm using the word quite wrongly. <laughs> <laughs> and no, it seems amazing. like if you look around the world that lots of groups of women are in uh, mangrove forests working, it seems. Oh, really? In yeah. Mexico, they have Las Chelameras, who are uh, Mayan women who uh, work in a certain area of mangroves um, protecting the ecosystem. In Kenya, you have the mangrove mothers who work on Pate Island. Uh, Pate they... Island? <laughs> Is that, you leave big footprints in Pate Island, don't you? you know what? It might be Pate Island, but I prefer Pate Island, don't yeah. you? Uh, and in India, in Maharashtra, um, you have a collective of women who kind of work in the mangroves. They do safaris, but they also help protect the forest. Wow. So it just seems like wow. everywhere That's you look really around the world, wherever there's mangroves, there seems to be women working there. We it's need to cool. rename them. Sounds yeah. like they need a rebrand. Yeah. 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 They mop up tsunamis. Uh, yeah, incredible. They, so, just they absorb the energy of incoming waves when they're coastal. So, so the wave can lose two thirds of its energy, I read. Yeah. 
That's you know, nuts. and that's so that's really really useful. There was a study in China which found they reduced flood water level in a tropical storm by about three meters. Wow, which is very useful. Annoying if you're um, a surfer. Don't surf in a mangrove. Yeah, You'll see sure. a brilliant wave coming at you. It will have disappeared by the time. But you very there. few of the Beach Boys' uh, big hits are about um, <laughs> mangroves. mangroves. No. Um, yeah, but and then the other nice thing they do is they store huge amounts of carbon because they build up these big peat deposits beneath them. Mm-hmm. Some of them are up to six meters deep. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. And they did yeah. a study in 2001, so quite a while ago, but they found that the loss of mangroves is 35%, which is worse than tropical forests or coral reefs. Oh, really? Yeah. Don't like that. Oh, Don't no, like that fact at all. Good. Bad fact. The, the world's biggest bacterium ever was found in a mangrove forest. Oh, I think yeah, we mentioned, mentioned this one. Him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I hope it was a her, otherwise that bacterium would have been arrested and forced to hand in polished rocks. <laughs> <that it is>. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say, if yeah. you eat mangrove... Uh, it contains asparagusic acid, uh, which is the stuff that makes your urine smell. Get away. Uh, after eating asparagus. Does it make your wee smell the same as asparagus yeah, does or yeah. different? No, like the same. Yeah, wow. so asparagusic acid also uh, kills parasitic nematodes, which is why it's evolved into these two places. So it protects <gasps> the asparagus plant and the mangroves against these nematode worms. Oh, that's that's good. An interesting thing about that. They uh, need uh, wee mangroves. Yeah. They Do rely they? on fish wee. Ah. It turned out because they part of the way they survive is through um, consuming lots of nitrogen. They make great use of nitrogen, and that is produced by fish wee. And they did a study of a mangrove forest in the Bahamas, and they found that there were just two species of fish, two types of snapper, that doubled the amount of nitrogen in the water and made it possible to survive. Wow. Hey, here's a little mini quiz. Yeah. Right. Which of these is not a nickname for mangroves? Okay. Walking trees, dead man's fingers, the kidneys of the coast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would think kidneys of the coast because they effectively are doing what kidneys do, which Filtering. is filtering yeah. stuff. So I'm going to say it's definitely not that. That's not the nickname. It's not the nickname. Oh, wait, no, that is the nickname. That is the nickname. It is. Because your question is, which is not the nickname? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. oh right. You're He's doing the, the long full... way around. Yeah. yeah. Double negative. Yeah. I'm going to say they look like they walk because their roots are so huge and they come out of the ground. I've actually always found them really creepy because they look like giant spiders, don't they? Mm. Fields of spiders. Bit, yeah. So I think they're probably called walking trees. Is that what you said? Well, okay. I think that bananas are walking trees, aren't yeah. they? Like bananas walk, as in they move. Bananas are... Banana trees. Aside from in pajamas. No, banana trees. Yeah, yeah, banana trees. They move. Yeah. As in, they'll they'll propagate another banana tree maybe a few meters away from them. And if you go back two years later, it looks like the trees moved. Oh. Yeah. I think this was like one of the famous moments on QI where Sean Locke said, the, the trees, they walk. And Stephen was like, no, they don't. And then it came through. The, oh, well, we were do, literally on the computers going, yes, they do, yeah. Stephen. Yes, they do, Stephen. <laughs> Stephen, this is Andy coming to you from my computer tower. Uh, I can confirm. Um, I'm going to say that I think you kind of danced around the idea of the dead man fingers when you said spiders. It looks like dead man fingers are coming out with these Mm. big poles. I say yes to that, yes to that, and I think you're tricking us. I think all three are. Dan's got it. They're all nicknames for oh, Walking well, trees. You, you couldn't be asked to come up with a full fake nickname. <laughs> Dead man's fingers. The kidneys of the car. Co- I'll come up with another one now. Go yeah, on. Go on. Like, um, uh, well, d- stop staring at me, all three of you. I need time. You can do it later and edit it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Salty, creepy boys. Ah, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, that's a difficult one. <laughs> um, can I quickly talk about a place where women are not allowed? Mm. Yeah, the Yorkie factory. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Early uh, 90s reference for this, British listeners. <laughs> this is Mount Athos in Greece, uh, which was known as the place of 6,000 beards. <laughs> because there were monasteries on there and monks were allowed, but women were not allowed in there. Uh, and they had a law called the Avaton, which prohibited women from entering. And the idea is that um, the monastery started when the Virgin Mary was sailing across the coast or something, and they stopped at this place, and the voice of God said, let no other woman come here, because the Virgin Mary's been here and no other women are allowed. So we're going to put a stop to that. <laughs> we didn't like her. Yeah. <laughs> so um, even when the British royal family went, Prince Philip was allowed on the island, and the Queen, um, Queen Elizabeth, but the second wasn't. Wow. Um, Helena of Bulgaria, she, in the 14th century, had the plague and she was brought there to try and help her, um, but she was carried so that her feet never touched the ground. Mm. Uh, Ooh, and I know. And there was a brilliant writer, a French writer, <laughs> called Marie Choisy, uh, and she had written a book called Un mois chez les filles, uh, which was a month with the girls where she was in a brothel. And then she wrote a second book oh. called Un mois chez les hommes, uh, which was a month with the men, which was about going to this place. And she had a double radial mastectomy. Uh, wow, that's commitment to the I know, What? And wore a false mustache. Wow. Uh, and she posed as a man and went to this place. Uh, and she spoke to all the monks and stuff and asked them what was going on. Uh, and she asked one monk, she said, what's this deal? Like, is it true that you're not even allowed female animals in this um, place? And the monk said, we must draw the line somewhere. The day we possessed a hen, some brothers would argue that we should also accept a she-cat, a you, or even a she-ass. And there is but a short step from a she-ass to a woman. What do you mean a you? Not a me? I'm not a woman. What are you but um, yeah, isn't that amazing? Wow. I've never heard of this Marie Choisy. Wow. No, she sw- Choisied pretty weirdly, I would say, having yeah. both your breasts lopped off. For... Yeah. Just to go on this journalistic expedition? Yeah, she was like a feminist reporter of and wow. crazy sort of Louis Theroux of her time. Yeah, but you won't see Louis chopping his dick off to get into this mangrove, will you? Like, that is. I don't know, Louis, is... if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a lady's mangrove in Papua. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lu- Louise, Louise, Louise. <laughs> I'm from the BBC. Are you okay? <laughs> okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is Andy. My fact is that until the early 20th century, Swiss people were routinely being injured by the last ice age. <sighs> the film? That's right. Hated <laughs> it. Just a squirrel with a nut. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Uh, <laughs> is that what happens? That's what it's about, yeah. Fairies is not under the ice. Can't find it. Very long. Really? Quest. All four movies? Yeah, yeah. There's padding. Hasn't found it yet. Look, let's press on. Um, this is uh, a fact. It came from a list of facts. Every year, there's a guy called Tom Whitwell who does a list of 52 things he oh, learned. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I, I've mentioned one of his facts before. Yeah, years ago, yeah. I have to limit myself because it's such a great list of facts. But he mentioned this uh, fact, which came from a brilliant uh, London Review of Books article by Jonah Goodman, and it's all about Swiss people who, until the early 20th century, loads of them had goiters, right? And that is a bulge of flesh that comes out of the front of your neck. Mm. And they can be really big. They can be really. They can really limit your life if you have one. They they make you wheeze. They weigh on your windpipe. They they they're, they're really unpleasant to have, you mm. know. And they they they're harmful. 
And everyone in Switzerland had them. Not everyone, but a lot of people had them. 80% of the country. It was yeah. crazy. And it was only on the sort of Swiss Alpine plateau. We're quite near Lake Geneva, actually, for yeah. this fact as well. Um, and there were dozens of theories doing the rounds. Is it the landscape, the air, the high altitude sunlight? Is it the incest, someone said? <laughs> um, is it moral failure? Incest probably a category of that. Anyway, the, like all these theories were doing the rounds. And basically, it turned out it was thanks to the last ice age because during the last ice age, Switzerland, very high up, was covered by an ice sheet that was about a thousand meters thick and it melted and then refroze loads and loads of times, right? And it just absolutely ripped off the top 250 meters of rock and soil from the Swiss plateau. And wherever the ice sheet was, the soil was stripped of a chemical, which was iodine. And the lack of iodine is what causes goiters. And everyone was like, thank God it wasn't the incest. <laughs> <laughs> we can keep going, huh? <laughs> oh, dear. And, that was, and it was lack of iodine. And it just... Yeah. It just did a complete number on half the population of Switzerland for it's, centuries. It's it was a extraordinary. Curse. I can't it's, believe I've never heard of this. Had you guys heard of this no. before? No. I, it's it's astonishing because this isn't like you know the 1700s. This is up until the 1920s. Yeah. That 30 percent of like military personnel in Switzerland had giant. Like, like when we talk about fashion, as we're going to do in the next fact, um, you know, you you do Ooh. stuff to, yeah, I know, we, uh, ra- no, we rarely f- throw forward. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but like, you know, clothing was designed largely, you know, for them to hide these giant throbbing lumps on their necks, yeah. which is, yeah, and you can oh. see photos. Can I do something a bit more classic and throw back to the last fact? Yeah. <laughs> um, Good. Yes. Better. <laughs> Safe ground. <laughs> um, they used to have these things in the mangroves, in the biggest mangrove in the world, which is on the border of India in Bangladesh I think and they would also have these big sort of collars which covered your entire neck but it wasn't to stop you from being able to see your goiter can you guess what it was for vampires anti-vampire device close get away yeah very close um and he think of something more real (laughs) werewolf no (laughs) so not that close spider Uh, oh spider spider. Uh, no it's because tigers live there and people working in the mangroves, they would be caught by tigers. And I don't so, know if a little rough around my neck is going to make you feel that safe. They were quite solid collars, but they would stop the tigers oh. from being able to bite you. Grab um, you by the scruff of the neck. Yeah. Um, sorry, wow. anyway, we were talking about goiters. Goiters. Yeah. 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 And I find it incredible that um, the ice age was this specific, just affected this one place so specifically. Everywhere yeah. else was kind of okay, but it stripped away the iodine. It must, I mean, I think I maybe it was moral failing. Because um, that's just a very targeted approach. No, no, it's good to relitigate these things and test the theory. Um, but it was it was quite hard for them to know exactly how many people had it because everyone was hiding it. People were embarrassed uh, by it. So the census, if they did any kind of surveying, wouldn't really truly show it. So when conscription was happening for the armies, you had to have your medical, and there was no way of hiding it. So in 1921, nearly 30 percent of 19-year-old conscripts had a goiter. On their neck. Yeah. If you buy one of those Swiss Army knives, there is a special goiter implement. <laughs> People always say it's for taking stones out of horseshoes, but actually it's for popping it's a goiter. The goiter. Yeah. Oh, God. There was Mark Twain when he visited in 1880. Said, oh, I bet he had something typically kind and understanding to say about it. <laughs> wow. wow. Made your views on Twain clear? I don't like him. He said, <laughs> I, this isn't going to endear you to him, actually. He wrote, um, I have seen the principal features of Swiss scenery, Mont Blanc and the goiter. Lovely. Thank you, Mark. Another, another very human and wise observation. Sorry, I just don't like Mark Twain. Anyway, let's move on. Um, wow. It's because he was incredibly rude about Jane Austen once. 
He oh said, my God. He, was, he famously <laughs> said, no, 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 he famously wrote, oh, I'd like to dig her up and beat her over the head with her own shin bone. And I just think, That's give me a good. break. Give me a break, Mark. Yeah. Next time you write something as good as Emma, you can have a pop at, at Big Dog Jane. But uh-huh. you, never, you never did. And you never will. Because yeah. you're dead. Anyway, um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> So it, it affected not just goiters. So there was this other medical condition called, it was known at the time as cretinism, right? Where people yeah. had very serious developmental problems. Uh, they grew much shorter than normal. Their features didn't grow properly. A lot of them were, were deaf and mute. And there was a Swiss goiter commission. There were schools across the country for deaf, mute children. As in, it really was a like a national yeah. health d- disaster. That's what I mean. Thing. I can't believe we haven't heard of this. Exactly. The word uh, cretin comes from the, the French Alps because of this. Right. And do you know the origin of the word cretin? I thought it was really interesting because obviously it became an extremely offensive word. But originally um, it came from an Alpine dialect word because um, it was so common in the Alps. It came from an Alpine dialect word for Christian. Cretin, ah. and it was to remind people that these people who looked uh, often, you know, so inhuman in a way, a lot of deformities, to remind people that they were still human Christian people who were equally loved by God, oh, and we should be very wow. kind to them. I did not know That's that. amazing. It started out as a very humane term. Because mm. wow. uh, Bertrand Russell, he thought that iodine might have been um, evidence that humans don't have a soul. Because what he saw was that when you gave this chemical to people, suddenly they became more human as he saw it. Perhaps it's all about chemistry and it's not about the soul and and Christianity and whatever. Interesting. Yeah, that kind of, you can see the kind of um, where where chemical driven machines when when you throw something new into us and it changes the core. And it's kind of what happened, right? So when all the theories that we're talking about earlier, moral compasses and all that sort of stuff, bad beer, um, when the original <laughs> list and that was on there that was when, on there when you wake up in bed with, with a cousin or a, 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 sorry it's the bad beer that caused the incest oh. <laughs> uh, there was four main players I believe when it comes down to how this eventually got solved uh, one was called Otto Bayard and they were pushing this theory that yeah we need we need more iodine and he actually went to sort of little communities and he upped the iodine in all the things that they were consuming. So he went to the cows and he made sure that it was in the salt that they were licking. It was in the, mm. that, you know, in the milk that they were producing. There was tiny amounts that were being put into the food of this family. And he did it over a, a term of a school course in the winter and he came back and they had gotten better. And suddenly he oh. went, Jesus, this is, this is what it is. They're missing their iodine. And that's why we have it now that people put iodine in salt, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Because people around the world eat salt. Everyone eats a bit of salt. Yeah. Iodine actually works quite well with salt. So they put it in there and that's kind of what did it. This article, so this article this, that Andy said says yeah. 88% of salt is now iodine yeah. salt. Yeah. Yeah. Not the UK, weirdly. Really? No, we yeah. get our iodine otherwise. Okay. But I mean, there's it's in a lot of uh, milk because uh, cows cows are given iodine, and uh, so it sort of That's happens that way. I had no idea our salt wasn't iodized. Really? I believe the vast majority is not. Yeah, yeah. rock salt is usually isn't, is it? Yeah, yeah like sea salt and rock salt are, are not because they're made oh. differently. But even table salt in the UK is not standardly iodized. Yeah. This the, the doctor who found it was called Heinrich Hunziker. Mm. Great name, and um, it was because it all goes through your thyroid gland, which is at the front of your neck. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get enough, it swells up because it's desperately trying to find more iodine from your bloodstream. So it swells and swells and swells. Oh. That's what causes it. And it's um, like all of it, the brain fog and the muscle ache and the goiters, all of it is due to your body just desperately hunting. But the problem that took them a long time to work out why it was just a little bit of iodine was required is that if you give people too much iodine, it leads to catastrophic health consequences in the other direction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you need one fifteen thousandth of one gram of iodine a day. 
It's mad. It's very small. How and much? so and they were trying to give people a gram a day of iodine and yeah. then they were getting terribly ill and they were saying, Well, the iodine's a disaster. Look at that. Yeah. So it took a long time. It, to it work is one out. of those frustrating things. It's a little bit like hand washing where people were saying it for over a hundred years. People kept saying, Do you know what? I think iodine's the answer to this and everyone, went, No, 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 don't. It's just gonna kill you. And one of the key people, another one of the key people who changed things was a guy called Hans Eggenberger. Mm. Who sounds like a McDonald's oh, offering. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually a very important man. Do you want to? Well, someone said to him one day, "Do you want salt on your Eggenberger?" And he realised he had this moment. Good old Eggenberger. He was a very charismatic guy. He was the male. He was in charge of a specific Swiss canton, and he realised that a little bit of iodine was the answer. And so he decided to add to his town cinema. This was in the 1920s. His town cinema's program of light entertainment. So the cinema yeah. was showing loads of really fun films. He added a lecture on iodized salt. <sighs> in amongst the light entertainment but for some reason because he was so charismatic and popular everyone flooded in to watch it and he put lots of jokes in he did this lecture lots yeah. of tricks and jokes and uh, fun words like he called it whole salt I don't know that's not fun but you know it was Pretty funny fun. at the time anyway he straight after everyone went to see this great film of his uh, there was a petition I got thousands of signatures and uh, iodized salt was introduced brilliant wow yep. uh, and then Gandhi hated it didn't he Gandhi did he yeah what the iodization of salt? Yeah, he did lots of good stuff, of course, Gandhi. But um, <laughs> we have to say, for balance, uh, probably. I mean, the problem was that it was the British who were taxing local salt, and mm. then kind of replacing it with these iodized salt. And he yes. kind of started anti-salt riots. Yes. Did he walk to the sea protesting about the salt? He did thing. a long walk, yeah, to try and get proper just salt. Salt from the sea? To, no, to, a, I think it was, it was raising yeah. awareness, obviously. I mean, obviously, like, the tax thing was real, but the iodized thing was kind of just a, a side mm. hustle that he thought was colonial. I see, yeah. a rare misfire from Gandhi there. I'm not trying to cancel Gandhi like you're trying to cancel Mark Twain, just to say. <laughs> no, no, and I'll cheerfully keep going on the Twain thing. Um, <laughs> Goiter used to be nicknamed Derbyshire Neck okay. in, the, in the UK. In the UK, right. Yeah. Supposedly because... People in Buxton got it. Maybe. Uh, maybe. Mm. Well, lots of bits of Derbyshire are quite far from the sea, and seafood could taste lots. In fact, <laughs> <laughs> well, some bits, yeah, but some bits are closer than others. Yeah. Well. Like, yeah. in, a, You're right. The exact centre of Derbyshire <laughs> is a long way from the sea. Yeah, yeah like and the. And the Seafood contains lots of iodine, so oh, yeah. maybe people living in the less sea adjacent bits <laughs> of Derbyshire, which obviously doesn't touch the sea, uh, we're getting a bit less. Just on iodine, um, it's very useful in other ways. I actually remember this is just personal, but I remember having to drink iodine water. Have you guys ever drunk that? Because it purifies water. No. We were, I went to Malawi when I was a teenager oh. for like two months, and yeah, you with drink, iodine tablets. Yeah, yeah, with, yeah you drop yeah, an yeah. iodine tab in, and you taste it for the first time, and you go, "I can't drink this shit for two months." <laughs> so what does, it, what does it do? It purifies water. Just, it just purifies. Yeah, it's nice. very useful. I feel for that. like I've had that. Yeah, because yeah, that's very why Andy's cheap. the only one with a goiter around the table. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought that my polo neck was concealing that, but apparently not. It did save you of that tiger, in fact, too, though, didn't it? Um, but something else it does, you can detect counterfeit money. And if you remember oh. your school chemistry, you might be able to work what? out why. So real money is on cotton or linen, 
usually paper, uh, uh-huh. so we shouldn't call it paper money. Counterfeit money, often just made of actual paper, wood-based paper, uh-huh. and uh-huh. wood-based paper contains starch. And do you remember when you're detecting starch in science, yeah. iodine is the thing that reacts to starch and shows up if starch is in something. So if you rub an iodine pen on paper and it reacts to it, then um, it oh. means that it's made of wood. But this has been used to catch people. And there was a story in 2016 mm. where a 14-year-old girl caused the police to descend on her at her school lunch and she was put in handcuffs <laughs> oh, because no. she paid with a $2 bill, bizarrely, that an iodine pen that the school had showed up as fake. <laughs> the police came. The police came. She was put in handcuffs. She oh, wasn't boy. allowed to eat lunch that day. She went hungry. Um, they tri- She said, I promised that my grandma gave me the money. <laughs> Um, was her grandmother doing the forging? Uh, it turns out her grandmother's not a criminal either. This method doesn't work on money that was made before about 1955. And her grandma had given her, obviously, a note that had been sitting in her wallet for oh, a wow. very long time. <laughs> so she went free in the end. She is not still um, I incarcerated. she was still incarcerated. <laughs> you got to keep her in just in case. Pardoned wow. by Biden 50 years later. <laughs> yeah, her and the turkey. Gosh. I've got an audience fact about uh, ice sheets. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. It's from Percy Fulford. And I just love the way this this email begins, right? Percy writes, Admittedly, this one sounds a bit like a James Harkin quotes fact, but bear what? with me. Oh, I think Percy has confused James and Dan here. As Fuck in- off, Percy. <laughs> Thank you, Percy, well, for your does email. Does he put his address on? <laughs> I'm not giving you it. <laughs> I'm sure he just means a Dan Schreiber fact. Well, I'm glad no one's worried that I'm taking offence from that. <laughs> I th- you know, because Dan likes his, his crypto stuff. Yeah, okay. Yep. Anyway. Well, Percy, Are you going to tell I've us I've got to say, this fact is falling on very stony ground. <laughs> in the last ice age, much of Canada was covered in massive, several kilometre thick glaciers, which have now melted. Those glaciers were immensely heavy, but now the weight has been lifted. The crust is springing back up at about 12 millimetres a year, like a memory foam mattress. Yeah. Hmm. However, until the crust... 12 million metres a year? Mil- millimetres. <laughs> millimetres. <laughs> it's oh amazing that God. picture of Earth from space, isn't it? Where <laughs> Canada is... <laughs> People are just hundreds of miles. I'm I'm (laughs) underwhelmed. However, until the crust fully rebounds from the weight of these glaciers, Canada's landscape is missing the immense mass that caused its shape. So, for the time being, moving to Canada, particularly to somewhere near Hudson Bay, remains an effective weight loss method. Uh, Hmm. If that's true of the UK as well, I should say. Yeah, Um, we had an ice sheet that went as far down as pretty much where Stonehenge is, and then it's not there anymore. And that's why. It's the UK is slightly slanted, and that's why you get big cliffs where Dover is. But if you go to Morecambe, for instance, it's a really long, sandy oh. beach. Because it's just been crushed down. Yeah. Right. And now it's bounce, bouncing back, right? Over millions of years, it will do, yeah. You can't bouncy castle on it. But. Yeah. <laughs> I should say, I, this is from memory, but there's another thing about ice sheets you just reminded me of, which is there's a restaurant in that was in Italy. And I think due to climate change, it was on a glacier and the glacier is very, very slowly oh, moving, no, but moving right. more than you thought. And they now think that the restaurant might be in Switzerland because it was quite near the border and oh. it's kind of slowly moved oh, in that direction. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. Uh, we should say as well, I stupidly didn't write this bit down, but one of the big moments in this whole story of this main fact about the um, the last ice age being responsible is there was one person who stood up in front of the academic community and said, I think it's the melting ice sheets. I think that's what's done. Oh, it. Yeah. Like it was a proper, he put it forward as the idea and everyone just went, you are nuts. Yeah. That's worse than the incest idea. <laughs> that's like, who was it? Hans I, McMuffin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that during the reign of Charles II, women's dressing tables tended to include both face and nipple makeup. Mm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So when you make up your face, yeah, I'm no expert, but you're putting on foundation and you're putting yeah. on stuff on top of that. Yeah. Maybe some mm. lipstick. Do they call it nipstick? Nice. They should have had. How are you making up the nipple, basically? Yeah, is it more of a lipstick or a foundation? I think that's a great question. Yeah, it feels like it'd be a foundation. Yeah, more I'd, like a foundation. I'd do it as eyeliner. I'd, I'd do it as eyeliner, uh, paint some little eyelashes around it. Nice. So you're kind of winking with your nip. That's so quite... it looks like a little sunshine. Yeah, nice. I'd yeah. do lipstick, make it a big red blob. Wow. Yeah. But why do did know? they need it? Well, they needed it because this came in a period where Charles II basically lowered <laughs> the uh, the cleavage line. <laughs> he was sorry, <laughs> sorry. Can can King Charles do that now that he, he's the king? Oh, he, yeah. That's why he picked the name Charles. He's going to start where he left off. <laughs> he's been easing us all in gently, but he will gently start lowering those 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 lines. The environment thing is just to lure us in, isn't it? And then he Absolutely. whips away our tops. Wow. Yeah. No, he was a sort of like you know he was he came in he. Was was very liberal. He was the Merry Monarch, was he? Yeah, Merry Monarch. Yeah, yeah, that was right. his nickname. That was his nickname. He was very uh, libidinous, saucy, pro theatre. Just Any- after yeah. the Cromwellian times. Exactly. Of Literally, anyone time. would have seen Merry after yeah. all the Cromwell. Yeah. Yeah. Not a high bar, but he genuinely did seem like a bit of a, uh, a, a goer. Yeah, a and, and there's there just grew this trend whereby if you were wearing corsets and your nipple happened to peek over, that was not a bad thing. And then suddenly everyone thought, well, let's <laughs> let's lower the corset a bit. Let's get the boobs out. Let's get. And it was you know seeing an ankle was far more scandalous and titillating to a pervert than seeing... (laughs) (laughs) To earn a body! You didn't have to be a pervert. (laughs) The word used to be ankylating, didn't it? Very nice. Uh, Yeah. There you go. I mean, it was still very raunchy. Um, we should say it wasn't like people were going around the shop <laughs> flashing a boob to get a free loaf of bread. It was still, you know, there were paintings we have of people exposing breasts, but they were generally prostitutes or actresses. Um, Same thing who were meant to in be those days. Indeed. <laughs> I have to say a good caveat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a famous Nell Gwynn picture. This is why I was never allowed to host the Oscars a second time. <laughs> 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 she was amazing, by the way. Just before we disappear on Nell Gwynn, I'd, oh. I'd never read about Nell Gwynn before. Oh, yeah. And she, yeah, she, so Charles II basically stipulated that when you're at the theatre and men who were in all the plays playing women, that should no longer be the case. It should be women now playing women. Uh, there was Margaret Hughes, who was the first woman to, to step on stage and play a woman in a play. And then Nell Gwynn, who became very famous. They yeah. met. Um, she was working in her a th- and Charles met. Her and right? Charles yeah. met. Sorry. So basically, she was working outside a theatre, which was the King's Theatre, um, and then she met this guy who was called Charles Hart, uh, who became known as Charles the First to her. Um, and then, um, <laughs> she- not to be confused with the headless one. Um, yes. Very clever. Yeah. Oh, that was just what she nicknamed him. It's what she nicknamed him. Retroactively, after she got together with Charles II. Well, because then she had a Charles II, which was Charles Saxville. So actually, Charles II was her Charles III. Now, oh, this is wow. a, this is a, a sort of bawdy fast <laughs> developing. <laughs> They're all behind a different door, yeah. all on stage. Yeah. She was. Um, what I know about Mel Gwynn is her mother was a prostitute. Mm-hmm. She was an orange seller, I yep. think. Yep, that's right. Uh, and then became an actor slash prostitute. Mm-hmm. Right. I always think it's very Pygmalion. 
isn't it? Don't you think? It's a much sexier Because she very much Pygmalion. came from nowhere, yeah. didn't she? Yeah. 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 A sexy Pygmalion. And she was yeah. very witty. There's there's all these anecdotes that have made it through the years. So like the one time she was going in a carriage through the streets of a city and, and the people were furious because they thought that she was a different mistress. They thought that she was the Duchess of Portsmouth. And so they were yelling at her going, you Catholic whore, you Catholic whore. And she leaned out of the carriage and she said, pray good people be civil. I am the Protestant whore. Not the Catholic. That's clever. It's, you know, really yeah. witty. Rolled at the time. around laughing yeah. at the time. Yeah. Yes. But anyway, so she was one of the people who got their, yeah. got their waps out. Waps, waps. And we still have paintings of it from the time. We do. Um, and yeah, it was a time, it was kind of like the Roaring Twenties, wasn't it? Because it was post just for international listeners. It was just after we'd had this like unpleasant interregnum, uh, uptight, following an already Following an unpleasant civil war. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was a bit tired of the unpleasantness. They weren't allowed to have fun. The yep. Puritans were all over them. And then this period came in and everyone loosened right up and people got really into fashion and makeup. So women hadn't worn that much makeup. They'd worn very thick lead paint on their faces, often as famously Queen Elizabeth did and may have killed her. But other than that, didn't really wear that much until now. And um, it was the century of the massive hooped skirt. When you see women in these giant skirts, they couldn't fit through doors. Um, that was then. And I didn't realise with the hoop skirts, people took the piss out of them the moment they appeared. And men kind of hated them. Men just laughed at women for wearing them. And you couldn't was... see the ankles, could you? Mm-hmm. If you are a pervert. <laughs> yeah, they are very upset about that. Um, but yeah, women stuck to them. And actually, they were... When you look at like how they were made, they you had much more motion in them right. because basically they involved this big whalebone kind of giant umbrella sticking out from your waist, but underneath you were just fully naked and free. So it used to be that you'd be covered oh. in pe- heavy petticoats all over your legs and stuff. You could be doing river dance under there. You no could one be doing knows. anything. Yeah. You could be smuggling houses under there. Mm. But um, they were quite sexy because if you bent over, you did expose a bit of ankle. Oh, oh right. Really? So, if you really bent over, you could expose everything. You could, I think even yeah. perverts would probably think that was a bit much, actually. <laughs> um, the waistcoat was invented mm-hmm. by Charles II on the 14th of October, 1666. Which is <laughs> Isn't that amazing that we know when the idea of wearing a suit and a waistcoat yeah. is on that exact date? Wow. How- um, did he think of it or did someone help him? His tailor invented his name. You know what? I mean, he got the credit, oh, in wow. fairness, but there will have been other people who did a lot of the hard yards. But um, <laughs> there, was, there was accusations that England was being dictated to by France in lots of different ways. And they were saying that basically, not only that, everyone in court is just copying French clothes. And Charles II was not very happy about this and wanted to make a statement and said, okay, we're going to invent a new thing. We're going to all wear trousers, all wear jackets, <laughs> all wear waistcoats, and they're going to be made by English wool. Uh, and you're not allowed to wear your French fashion anymore. You have to wear the English fashion. And we know about it because Peeps writes about it. Oh. So it definitely did happen. What, what year was that, sorry? 1666, just after the fire. And- <sighs> when, again, you'd think like, a king with his head, you'd like, a king with his head screwed on. Sorry, Charles II, that's probably a bit insensitive. <laughs> <laughs> would, would have his mind on other matters, you like recovering so. from the plague of the fire, then. Yeah. Um, yeah. You need distractions, the waistcoat. Exactly. Political <laughs> distractions. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's true. Peeps wrote that um, the king banned pinking and the waistcoats uh, because he said that it made his um, people in his court look like magpies. Pinking. What's pinking? Pinking is where you you get some cloth and you make like tiny holes in it to make a pattern. Oh yeah, it's very fashionable yeah, at the yeah, time, yeah, but right. um, the king banned it. Oh. It's probably bad for your insulation as well. 
having small holes all over your clothes. It probably doesn't do your. your Well, weirdly, if you wear like Hmm. a string vest, that's just holes. But actually, it's supposed to be very warm because it traps the air. Yes. Just, just, if it was just holes, it would be nothing, wouldn't it? That's Emperor's new, no, new string it's, vest. It's, it's, <laughs> but it's mostly holes. <laughs> it's definitely mostly holes. No, I get that. I've never worn a string vest. You which amaze I know is, me. Is, I can't believe it, Andy. <laughs> no, no. I can only imagine you on your Christmas holidays going down to Margate Beach with a handkerchief round your head. <laughs> I go home, I, I climb up into the computer tower. <laughs> I take my clothes, I get my string vest on. Weirdly, even though women were uncovering their boobies, they were covering their faces. At this time, huh. and this went in and out of fashion throughout the 1600s and 1700s. Masks, but masks oh. that cover your whole face, and they'd often have a little bead sewn into the way your mouth was. So the way you held them on was by keeping <laughs> this bead them, you before your teeth. On. You bit them on, wow. which added apparently an extra air of mystery because you couldn't speak, so you were <laughs> mute. Go, Hello. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very sexy way of speaking in those days. Hiya. <laughs> Hello. Huh. Isn't that weird? They were called vizards. Was it to stop the sunshine from, like, because I've guess. seen that in modern day, sometimes people would wear, like, balaclavas, wouldn't Stops they? Stops the, the Great Plague, which was probably oh, yeah. knocking about a bit. Are oh, many yeah. people wearing balaclavas? Are you sure you haven't been robbed a number of times? <laughs> he's, gone, oh, he's just trying to avoid getting burned. <laughs> I think you see it in some countries, they'll wear, like, I've seen colourful yeah, yeah, balaclavas. Yeah. yeah. I would yeah. think more veils than balaclavas. I think well, I... No, I'm thinking, like, you know, like, Pussy Riot War, those things. Oh, yeah. I think I've seen them. I might mm-hmm. be wrong. Well, it was for sun protection a lot of the time and initially, but then it became a fashion which was unrelated to sun protection and it was to have this air of virtue um, or high quality, high breeding. But would you have your boobs out at the same time? Do oh, you... yeah, yeah, naked from the neck down. Oh, but you're but... unrecognisable. No. <laughs> well, no, but you might, you might do, you know, because most people are recognisable by their faces and not by their boobs. So... Yeah, and you're not going to admit to being the man who recognises the woman just by her boobs, are you? No. Not when you've gone to the theatre with your wife. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's Sally over there. <laughs> What's that? What is that story? I'm going to really butcher it. Can you it's, tell it, Andy? It's really it's good. The, it's in Oxford. It's a men-only area in Oxford. Yeah. It's a bit of the river, a swimming area called mm. Parsons Pleasure, I think, where only male dons or maybe undergraduates would swim, but they would swim naked. Mm-hmm. And one day there were three dons there and some ladies happened by. They were, you know, they, they were surprised. And the right. dons are all naked. Yeah. And two, they're, they're all very embarrassed. And quickly, you know, two of the dons grab their, I don't know, flannel or whatever, and cover their their genitals and the third don very calmly doesn't cover his genitals he covers his face mm. and nice. and they say what what have you done that for charles if his name was charles and he says well i'm i'm not recognizable by my genitals so <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately they all heard of being called charles <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can all be found on our social media accounts. I'm on at Insta... <laughs> <laughs> How right. did you get that? Yeah, right, granddad. Was... <laughs> God. I'm on HTTP... Um, I'm on Instagram, on at Schreiberland. Andy? I'm at Andrew Hunter M on various... <laughs> James, I'm on LinkedIn if you want to offer me a job. (laughs) 
<laughs> and yeah, if you want to get to us as a group, Anna, where do they go? You can email podcast.qi.com or you can tweet at no such thing. That's right. Uh, or go to our website, no such thing as a fish.com, because if you do, you're going to find all the previous episodes up there as well as the gateway link into Club Fish. Uh, which is a very fun place where a lot of the listeners of our show get together, get bonus material, and also get to chat to each other on a thing called Discord. Find out about it there. Otherwise, just come back next week, and we'll be back with another episode then. We'll see you then. Goodbye. (laughs) 